podcast to get to know the people living in and around the busy streets of the French capital, Paris. I'm your host, Leticia, and each week, a new guest, or in this case, two new guests, with an inspiring story, take me around a neighbourhood of Paris that's important to them. As we walk and talk, I find out about the personal stories connected to that particular place. This week, join me on my stroll with Christopher Wheatley. Chris works in film as a director of photography. He grew up in France, although his family comes from all around the world. He's done a lot of work filming music videos and recently worked on an upcoming feature film with an American director. Chris told me to meet him at the Esplanade Vidal Naquet in the 13th arrondissement in Paris by the Seine. He warned me this part of Paris tends to get windy and I immediately understood why when I got there. The streets are wider than other parts of Paris with long open spaces and plenty of room for pedestrians. We were amongst the big university buildings and the BNF's impressive campus for most of the stroll. It felt like we were taking a break from the hustle of the city. Throughout the stroll, we talked about filming for music videos, the stories movie theatres carry, and taking ego out of the filmmaking process. A map of our walk is available on the podcast Instagram page, so you can follow along. The links are in the show notes. And now, here's my conversation with Chris Wheatley. I started by asking him to describe where we were. Right, um, so we're in the 13th in Paris. Um, I chose this neighborhood because uh, it's, first of all, my favorite one in Paris, uh, just in terms of the vibe and the architecture. Uh, It's very modern Mm -hmm. compared to the rest of Paris, which to me feels a lot like the same buildings all around. Um, And I chose this specific spot to meet up uh, because It's actually a spot that I discovered very recently um, because for the past year or so, I've been trying to, um, anytime I need to go somewhere, uh, trying to take paths that I haven't taken before, uh, which has helped me discover a lot about places that I've known my whole life, either in Paris or abroad. And uh, I thought it was very on brand <laughs> for the podcast. That is definitely on brand. How do, how do you like take different paths? Like, do you just look on Google Maps? Would you just walk around? Well, that's exactly the opposite because I'm I'm used to um, you know looking up how to get somewhere on Google Maps, and uh, now I just specifically go through streets that. I see and I know I haven't been on Mm -hmm. and uh, there's a lot of like things to discover in Paris like details, art, hidden stuff. Yeah, that's good. Don't you ever get lost though? Uh, Not really. I mean, at least not in Paris. It's it's pretty tiny. And assuming you know it very well since you've lived here. Right. Were you you born here? I was born here, yeah. I mean, I've lived in, in the suburbs of Paris uh, all my life, but Paris is where everything happens when you're from around here, so everybody just meets up in the yeah. middle. Which suburb of Paris are you from? It's called Fontenay-sous-Bois. Okay. I don't actually know where that yeah, is. 
next to Vincennes. Okay, I know Vincennes. It's not very far from here. It's not far from here, and that's that's also why I like this neighborhood. It's like 20 minutes by train, 15 by car, so it's always easy to get here. And why were you going when you discovered this place? Uh, I was actually with a friend coming out from uh, from the movie theater that uh, we're gonna cool. stop by. And so, tell me about you. So, I'm, uh, I'm Christopher Wheatley. Um, I'm a director of photography, professionally. It's what's, what takes most of my time. Um, I do enjoy dabbling in all sorts of arts, just trying new things. But I feel like it always comes back naturally to things that are more visual. That's, that's how I express myself the easiest. I've always had trouble with words, especially in writing. Um, I mean, even, even this job just came through trying stuff out and, uh, and very late too. Um, I've, I've, in retrospect, I've been around filmmaking through family, friends, and, and just watching movies all the time, uh, but it, it never seemed attainable um, until uh, I discovered that they had a filmmaking course in the university I was at, where at first I was studying physics. Wow. <laughs> so <laughs> I really, really didn't different. know where I was going. Was it in in, uh, in Paris that you lived? Uh, it was in the suburbs too. It was in uh, in Noisy-le-Grand and Champs-sur-Marne. It's a little further away. But once I discovered they had these courses, I, I just stopped going to physics classes and started going there. And so, I mean, it, it came randomly, but I, I think it was just sort of destiny. When you say it happened randomly, like, did you just walk up to to class one day and saw uh, like a, a film class next door or how, how did that happen? Uh, no, so, so the campus at this university is very uh, spread out and uh, I'd say like people from, from different curriculums don't really mix um, but I took theatre classes there uh, it was bilingual theater in English and Spanish. Okay. And, um, and there were two girls there that, that told me they were studying filmmaking at the same university. And I knew about like film schools where you needed to have um, like two years of studies prior to enrolling. But I didn't know, I didn't even know there, there were um, filmmaking classes for, you know, right after high school. And so when I learned that, I looked it up, um, went to see uh, the guy in charge of those classes, and and he just he said like I couldn't enroll mid-year, um, I wouldn't get enough credits, but I was very welcome to to go to the classes and see if it was my sort of thing, and it turned out to be. <laughs> it was your sort of thing. Do you ever use your physics knowledge um, in your filmmaking? Uh, definitely. Really? Uh, yeah. I wouldn't um, have thought so. How, how so? Well, uh, so I'm a director of photography 
Um, so it's, it's, I'm responsible for the picture of the films. Um, and there's actually a lot of physics that goes into it. I mean, it's, it's mostly lighting. Um, so I feel like there's a lot of things that come easy to me in this job because of how I understand lights and shadows and even electronically and inside cameras and all the equipment. Um, I think there's a lot of stuff that easily makes sense to me because I have this prior knowledge. And mm. What exactly is a director of photography? Because I don't, I don't really know. <laughs> so on a set, um, as I said, is the, the person in charge of the picture, the, the image. Um, so I frame my own shots. Some DPs don't. Um, they have someone else operating the camera, but I, I just love the feeling of holding this very heavy camera and, and trying to catch what's happening. Uh, but it's not just filming what's already there, it's, it's also uh, building, helping build the universe uh, through lighting. So, of course, you don't always have the budget to do everything you want, so there's, there's a lot of natural lighting involved in my work and most DPs work too. I think there's, there's a lot of feeling that can translate it through how you deal with contrasts and what's in the light, what's in the shadows. Um, most of my work is very dark. Working the light, like I'm just, I'm just trying to think how, how much does it actually change, like say, say you're like shooting a film without a director of photography um, right now, like here. Um, and if you bring in a director of photography, like what, what's going to change, you know, like how, if you're working with natural light, like how, how's that outlook going to be different? Right, so for example, in this context, it'd be um, thinking of where to shoot and from what angle, like right now we're in the shade. Um, and our eyes are much better than cameras um, in terms of what we call dynamic range, which is the darkest point and the brightest point. Um, so filming our conversation here would be probably not the best idea because the background would be very blown out. Um, either that or uh, background would be nice and we'd be too much in the dark. So it'd be about finding the right spot, um, the right angles for the light to hit the face. And also, depending on what you want to tell, um, you know, harsher lighting uh, might convey a different message than something very soft that makes you look very pretty, you know. And, and how come you, you're more attracted to like darker, darker settings and darker lights. Hmm, that's a good one. Um, I think this style developed through, um, <laughs> I'd say, financial struggle on the first projects I, I made where it's, 
it's it's much easier to to do something very um, contrasted uh, with, for example, a single light source. Whereas if if you want to make something softer and you know very well lit, you need lots of things. And um, so I've I've just always tried to do the most uh, out of what was available to me. Uh, which in the beginning was, of course, very little. I've also always been interested in darker works of art, um, whether it be in films or in painting. Um, I also realized that uh, video games might have played a big role in my visual style. I played a lot of video games in my teenage years, and and usually those older video games, like it's a three-dimensional scene and there's n not very natural lighting um, because, of course, it, it's all generated on a computer. Um, and then I think um, leaning into that unnatural lighting um, for my work, it probably comes a lot from this. Um, do you want to walk? Yes, love to. Let's, uh... I'm following you. Okay, let's walk towards the, the Seine. Music videos uh, have been a big, big part of my career so far. Um, so, yeah, I've done a lot of music videos, and for me it's always been about experimenting. Um, I've kind of slowed down on music videos because of a lot of bad experiences. Music videos um, are in very high demand uh, with usually very small budgets, mm -hmm. um, especially in rap music, which is uh, very present in Paris and around Paris. And I mean, these bad experiences, they range from like being paid late never being paid, uh, working with uh, just bad people and music labels, um, even like I've, I've been threatened and stuff like that. Really? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. How? <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yeah, let's just say there's, there's a rap music label in uh, in, in, in Paris that's uh, they're known actually for like these sorts of stories and and they have a lot of visibility because they they like signed some artists into into deals and just milk them out for music um, uh, but but there's been a lot of stories of like threats and selling their protection on sets like the mafia you know if, if you don't pay them they send kids to steal equipment and beat you up and stuff like that um and uh and yeah i, I worked with them once um i was actually contacted by an artist directly uh, and while we were talking, he told me he was signed, he was just recently signed to this label. So now we had to go through them. And the 
whole shoot was horrible. Like they were, they were 10 hours late. They made us shoot in, a, in an abandoned like manner. And um, I, I got paid half uh, because I told them I, I wouldn't even start working on like, I used to do editing also and stuff like that back then. I wouldn't start this post-production work before they paid me half, so they at least did that. I got to pay the people I, I, I brought on. Uh, but then they were like very, like they were pressuring me to work in the middle of the night, calling me eight times in a row. I wouldn't answer. And uh, at the end of it, I just said, listen, I don't want the other half just just leave me alone just don't don't talk to us wow. and uh and they ended up calling a friend of mine that was working with them too and said uh yeah we don't know where chris lives but we know where you live so no you know way. tell him tell him to send the the edit stuff like that wow that's intense and once what I started, did you, do? <laughs> did you send it? Yeah, I, I, I unblocked his number, called him up, told him I sent it. Don't talk to my friend ever again, because he was he was on, working on multiple projects with them, and you know I, I saw that they had a sort of like very toxic grasp on him. Um, so I, I just told him to to stop acting like gangsters, and just, there you have your video. Leave us alone. Did your friend like stop working yes. on them as well? Yes, immediately. Oh my god, that's crazy. Is it is it like common in the music industry or is it just that, that specific label? Uh, I'd say bad experiences are pretty common. Um, but that bad, uh, it'd be more specifically that music label. Um, because once once I started, you know, telling people this story, um, even with other clients and stuff. I mean, oh yeah, I know, I've had similar experiences with them and, and I've learned that other artists that I listened to um, were in trouble with them too, so, you know. Wow. And what do you think it is? Do you think it's just that they like work with people who are starting off their careers so they're more I don't know, like maybe more inclined to accept stuff that's not really acceptable or are they just... Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, that's, that's what I see from um, most labels and, and there's, there's a, I feel in Paris there's a, a, a weird approach to rap music where labels just sign hundreds of artists and hope that one of them, you know, gets a big break, uh, but th they're so spread out, they don't, they don't put faith into each one. Um, and sometimes people like them, like they, they, they pull really shady stuff. So right now we are on top of the National Library. Um, this is a place where I've spent a lot of time, um, mostly because of the movie theater that's right behind us. Okay. Um, 
but this specific place is where you know I've always hung out with friends um, waiting for the movie to start or after the movie and I've I've always felt in another universe here um, and being between those those four towers uh, it's it's something very different from the rest of Paris yeah, and and there's this little forest in the middle um, can you walk in that I you actually can't um, it's not publicly accessible but it's definitely one of these things that you know I've seen so much from afar and you know behind the fence um, that I really want to go there one day and how, how is it not publicly accessible I feel like that's almost almost rude to get everyone to look at it and can't even go there it kind of is but it, it, it gives it some mystique you know yeah I guess <laughs> it's true <laughs> but um you know I'm in a line of work where I get to do a lot of things uh, that you know the average person can't and and I really hope that I get the chance to get in there one day oh my god definitely <laughs> just like pitch a project to the BNF where yes, you have to exactly. have to film down there what else have you been that you never thought you would be and like went there for a project wow um, so for the past year I've been uh, working a lot on, on Red Bull videos um, and they're always uh, about doing the most extreme things. Um, recently we shot a video on the roof of the Stade de France. Oh, nice. So this is like something that was done for the first time and that I don't think they'll allow again because like it's 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 actually not a roof it's it's sort of like a, a big very thick sail the ground is soft and you're here with tons literal metric tons of equipment we also went to austria um, we went to the red bull ring which is their formula one uh, circuit i was with two french rappers they were in a car uh, that was like drifting around the the course and and they they were supposed to freestyle while he was drifting and uh, we also went to hangar 7 which is where they keep all their like aircrafts helicopters stuff like that and um, and they're all really passionate about what they do like I saw like the even just the mechanics were passionate about the aircrafts and the people in marketing really took marketing as an art form and uh, I even saw a plane there that might have been flown by my grandfather no wait <laughs> yeah. what yeah like so much to unpack <laughs> <laughs> right so my grandfather um, uh, so on, on my father's side he was a plane pilot uh, I believe he was in the US Air Force at first but then um, he worked in the, the federal administration um, and ended up as a private pilot for like royalty in the Middle East and Africa, stuff like that. And, uh, and when I was at the hangar, I saw from afar a plane that I, I, 
the same model that he flew that actually got tattooed over here and uh started talking with uh, one of the mechanics and um and uh he he told me that, like they they have another plane which is like the big sister of this plane which i knew he flew too and he told me that this specific plane uh he ha didn't have the details but it had an interesting story because it was owned by some king in africa so there's a chance like that the odds that he would yes. have wow that's so cool is your is your grand grandpa still around like did no you unfortunately he's not he's he's um this is actually the first death i remember of my family i was like eight or nine something like that but yeah no it's fine i got super close to um to his second wife um which was she, she was swiss I spent a lot of time in Switzerland too, um, and she recently passed away uh, last December. But you know, she told me a lot of stories about their travels. And mm. Like the <laughs> the memory lives on through other people. Right. That's nice. And now you know that you have a connection with him in <laughs> in um, the airplane place, which I forgot the name of. Hangar Seven. Hangar Seven. <laughs> Should we keep walking? And you were saying in the beginning that you're, you like initially got into filmmaking because you had people close to you that were filmmakers. Who were they to you and how did they inspire you basically? My father actually, um, he did uh, theater studies at Brandeis in the US. And um, he, I think he's always wanted to work in film. Um, I know that after his studies, he started, uh, you know, being an, assist, an assistant on sets and stuff like that. And, uh, but then, you know, things kind of dried out and he went into, like, Achusé um, okay. uh, in Paris. Like the, uh, um, business school. Right, business school. and. Um, but I, I feel like he's always been um, the one that got me into filmmaking without trying to. Mm. Um, I'd even say that at first when I told him that's what I wanted to pursue, he was very scared. Um, like uh, to him, it wasn't a good idea. Uh, but he very quickly saw how natural it was to me and He's very proud of my work, so he's been very supportive since that, since then. That's cool. He's helped me a lot um, since I started that. He's got from um, from Brandeis friends that like actually got into film and television, and uh, one of them got me into got me an internship, um, which was my first like really professional job. Taught me a lot, um, but I, I recently had a conversation with someone where I realized that like, I never had this talk with my dad, where we actually talked about the fact that he's probably the reason I'm doing this. Mm, like the source of inspiration, at least. Yeah. Yeah, I've always just loved watching movies anyway, and and this 
specific in movie this, theater. In this theater? Yeah, this is, um, so this is the MK2 Bibliothèque. Um, so I, I love this chain of theaters because they have all the big releases, but they also have the smaller ones and uh, more like artsy stuff. Uh, and, um, and there's also a big, big space inside where you can sit down, have coffee, piece of cake. I usually have like you know, business meetings for projects in there. Um, of course, a lot of memories with friends, uh, girls, but also, uh, I mean, I remember the, I had the first call with the director for the feature film I worked on. Um, and, and I was inside of the movie theater for the call. So, you know, it's always been a, a big part of my life and my filmmaking life. Do you remember the first film that you've like ever seen in this movie theater? I don't know what the first film I saw in this movie theater was, but the first one I know for sure I saw there was um, Interstellar, probably. I just remember it because I was with friends and, uh, and yeah, it was, it was, it was one of the first movies where I realized like how how crazy you can go with storytelling. Um, Do you get overwhelmed by like all the different things you could potentially see? Mm, I wouldn't say I get overwhelmed by things I could potentially see, but uh, I do get overwhelmed by the stuff I do see. Um, just trying to fill my time with watching films, uh, going to exhibitions. Uh, sometimes it, it, I enjoy it, but emotionally, um, it's, it's kind of a lot, you know, it can, it can, it can really drain you <laughs> if, if a movie or painting or whatever just hits, but then you get that experience like multiple times in a row it's, it's, it gets tiring, <laughs> but I feel like I learn a lot from art in general. Do you feel it when you're, when you're working on a film? Like, um, I'm guessing it must be pretty different, the emotion that you, you get when you're watching the end product versus when you're like actually on set and you see how it's being made. Does it, does it change how you like, how you react to the finished product? Well, there's definitely a, a thing where you, of, of course, you're, you're gonna love a film if you had a good experience on set or hate another project if you had a bad one. But I've had lots of projects where just new stuff came up uh, on the spot and the script changes every day and and you're you're capturing something that even if it's fiction uh, uh, it's not a documentary or whatever you're, you're capturing something that may not happen again and you know some actors like 
you can feel it's like real emotions that you're seeing and and when I'm there looking through the viewfinder and all I see is what I'm filming I feel like I'm watching a movie that but it's being made right now and then you can get overwhelmed because you, you give so much of yourself is that one um, one project in particular that you like worked on where you where you thought like yeah this is really special it's what I've felt about most uh, films I've worked on uh, but there's so definitely this feature film which unfortunately I don't know if I can say a lot about mm -hmm. yet it's the director contacted me through Instagram um, he's American he wrote a movie that takes place in Paris and he wanted to shoot it in the next month and so we had to build a whole team and and just get everything organized uh, before he came and uh, we shot it in like two weeks which is crazy for a feature it was like two or three hours of sleep <laughs> for like two weeks and we went to Normandy for half of it too he had an idea of Paris and the French culture but he was really discovering it on the spot so everything was changing on the spot and and I got to bring along um, a crew um, that you know I've, I've, I feel close with uh, and it was like this experience of which is most shoots you you, you get you know close to people because it's it's really intense situations over long periods of time and and, and there were a lot of subjects uh, about the film that I really related with whether it be cultural stuff because I got origins from all over uh, and always had a hard time connecting to uh, French culture so that was a big theme of the film it was all very very raw and and everyone gave gave a big part of themselves in this project and I think it shows in the final result like how much how much people gave of themselves um, yeah I'm curious when you like watch the the film through the camera um, do you tend to know which cut is gonna make it based on like how you're reacting to it in like the movie in the format of the movie well sometimes you know you're you're filming something that's so crazy that you know it's gonna make it into the film but I mean the first cut of this film was like three and a half hours long now it was cut down to two hours so there's a lot that would, that's not gonna make it um, a lot of good stuff but you know it's it's about getting to the point and, and the essence of the story uh, so you, you never really know uh, unless you're the director and you're 
you're the one making the decisions, but... There's a lot of questions about ego, um, and you know, it's, you can't fall in love with what you shot if, if it's better for the film uh, to just cut it. And whether it be for me what I shot or for the actors, their performance, um, there's always going to be sacrifices. It's really important for, for the, the end result to detach yourself from that and, and see, you know, from an outside eye, um, what would be best. Is that something that you've, you've had to work on, the, the ego bit and like not, not getting too attached to whatever you've shot or is that just something that comes naturally to you? In the beginning, uh, I, I, I used to do a lot more than just the cinematography. You know, there, there's projects where I, I was DP, but I also edited and did color and whatever. And there's some stuff I directed and uh, I maybe at, at the time wasn't conscious of this problem. Uh, but looking back at those projects, I, I see that, oh yeah, that's way too long. I just, I just was proud of myself that we shot this. Um, so I kept it in and it would have been better without it. Now where I'm at as the cinematographer, just I definitely don't have a problem when someone else decides to cut things. Would you ever want to be a director? Uh, there's stories I want to tell that I definitely feel that, well, first of all, they, they, they would require big budgets. <laughs> As I said about cinematography, I like um, creating universes. So, of course, if you're filming uh, a story that's very present and realistic, you can do it with an iPhone. I really... I'm, I'm, not, I'm not about just spending money to spend money, but the, the stories I have in mind are, are just either fully created universes or, or just, you know, stories about the very old world where you'd need like sets and costumes and stuff like that. But apart from that, um, I also don't think I'm mature enough to tell these stories yet. Um, and like, I, I can't know in advance when it'll feel right, but it's, it's definitely something that feels more like I'll do in my 40s or 50s, very far away. Um, so yeah, there's, there's stories I want to tell, but it's not for right now. Nothing definitely. urgent. Nothing urgent. This is a cute park. Yeah, this is a, this is a really calm spot in Paris. Um, I haven't been there that much, but I, I think I naturally came back to here because well, this is a, like a sports complex where I used to play basketball with friends here. And uh, actually yesterday I was on a shoot on this very basketball court, so. You, you have muscle memory about this place? Sort of. Also, we went, we went by some friend's house and 
it's it's just yeah trying the to do the opposite that of of what I said in the beginning of taking paths that I don't know. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> This time I'm I'm just trying to take the paths I do know and I do have memories about. If someone's walking around in this neighborhood, where should they go? That you haven't mentioned yet. That I haven't mentioned. Could yet. be like restaurant, bar, coffee mm. place. Okay, so um, there's this place called Les Frigos de Paris. Um, It's, it, it used to be like an industrial refrigeration place when back when not everybody had a fridge in their home. Um, and now it's actually in uh, uh, studios for artists. It's a pretty cool place because it's during the day it's open. Um, there's sometimes exhibitions going on, but even going through the hallways. Um, Like all the artists, they customize their doors, their hallways, and yeah, it's, uh, it's a cool place where like every every floor and hallway is different, and uh, yeah, it's it's one of the places I wanted to go through, but that didn't make the cut. So thank <laughs> you for the question. Okay, well, perfect. Now it makes the cut in in people's imagination. very much for listening to Sunday Strolls. If you liked it, I would appreciate it so much if you shared it to others around you. The map for this week's episode is available on Instagram. You can follow the page at Sunday Strolls Pod. You can also follow Chris Wheatley. I put the links in the show notes. Thanks again and see you next week for a new stroll. <laughs>